And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object is being here is to try and get out of the What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a... Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fruity for Frodo. Nice clean. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I will not fall into despair! You hate bloggers! You mock Twitter! It's time, Robbie! He's back! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere. Welcome to episode 343 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. The time of recording is 10.03 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on May 14th, 2023. Here to join me today for this very quick, hopefully, episode, I have Giovanni Lago. Hello, everyone. I say very quick because my flight to Cannes is just in a few hours' time, and I still have some stuff I need to do before I hop on the plane. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not fully packed. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. You're, you're a madman. You're a madman. I'm dedicated to the fans. I love the MVP film community. I want them to know how much I care about them. I did not want to skip out potentially on two weeks worth because next week's show may not happen. It all depends on what the schedule is and if Emma and I over in Cannes can find time to come together and record. The chances of that happening are pretty slim given how chaotic the schedule already feels uh, before we arrive. We've been doing the ticketing system over the last couple of nights at like one o'clock in the morning, my time for her a little bit earlier because she's on the uh, West Coast. Uh, But yeah, it's 7 a.m. France time. And yeah, it's been like a a fight in the mud every single day trying to get tickets for stuff that we want to see. So we'll be scrambling. That's for sure. Running from place to place, trying to queue up in lines Maybe a ticket will pop up. Who knows? I, I really don't know what to expect. This is my first time going, so. It sounds like it's going to be a, a busy time regardless, so. It's so funny, too, because I was kind of treating it almost as like a little mini vacation. <laughs> oh, I'll be, in, I'll be in France for two weeks and I'll get to enjoy the nice weather, see some good movies. Nah. Absolutely not. I'm still taking years off my life, no matter what I do. You're like, you're going to work for this vacation, okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Uh, But so this is our final episode here before I head off to Cannes. And then, like I said, we'll hopefully come back the following week. If not, we'll definitely be back the next week. I uh, arrive back home the day before. So hopefully after a good night's sleep, I can get the jet lag off and come back to you all and record and that's gonna be a really fun day too Giovanni because that's when the uh, television season ends uh, that Sunday evening pretty much every show has like their finale uh, that last week in May so I'm excited there's gonna be a lot of really exciting stuff happening around that time Uh, but before we get to final preview for can we'll answer some fan questions go over the polls we're also going to give our reactions to the trailer for poor things giovanni what have you been watching at home or in the movie theater the past week 
So I've been ramping it up, you know, uh, trying to catch up on some 2023 releases. This weekend, I saw Hypnotic. If you want our full reaction, you can listen to our podcast review we did. Um, Very fun listen. Not a fun movie to watch. Um, Overall, just very dull and drab film. Ben Affleck sleepwalks through it. Um, Very disappointing, especially from someone who has uh, very energetic styles such as Robert Rodriguez. Whether you love or hate his work, at least you could just sit back and like turn off your mind and watch it. But with Hypnotic, it's a snooze fest. I also finally caught up with Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, and surprisingly, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. Um, I saw Operation Fortune earlier this year, was not a fan at all. Guy Ritchie's incredibly hit or miss for me. You know, of course, when he's in his lane doing his British gangster films, obviously, that's where he strives the best. But this time he was like, I'm just going to make this full, like, uh, America agitprop a military movie and surprisingly it's also like his most emotionally like tender film like you can tell it's very sincere which is just something i don't really think of when i think of guy Ritchie. i just think of like quick quips and just people getting shot up um jake gyllenhaal is good in it i'm trying to remember the name of his interpreter it is dar salim really good um, the action set pieces are pretty solid. Um, it's also two hours. I, I think the only problem with it, with that length, is that they really build up to the whole thing of Jake Gyllenhaal trying to save his interpreter. And there's like during the second act, it kind of really slows a bit. And you could have trimmed like 15, 20 minutes. I think it would have just flowed by way better. Um, and then I also saw The Mother, the new J-Lo action movie on Netflix. And if you're wondering how it is, it's exactly how that sentence sounded. Um, incredibly, like, background film, te- like, plays. It's not great. J-Lo is entertaining. The action's great, like, here and there. Um, very formula- formulaic, you know, uh, Lone Warrior Cub type thing that we've been seeing a rise of, especially in the past, like, five years. Um, I would just say it's just another long line of just streaming releases J-Lo setting off. If you want to watch a streaming movie with J-Lo, uh, just go ahead and watch um, Shotgun Wedding, which I thought was a little bit better. Um, but besides that, uh, that was it. And I think that's all I've really seen this past week. Yeah, so I was not really spending a lot of time watching a lot of movies because of uh, getting ready to go to Cannes. Um, I did watch some old films from some classic filmmakers who are going to be screening new films at this year's uh, festival. Um, there are movies that you already know are really great. Um, I rewatched uh, I Dangle Blake from Ken Loach. I rewatched uh, Wings and Desire from Wim Wenders, the 1987 black and white film. Really, really fantastic. But as far as new movies go, um, I watched The Little Mermaid which there is a review embargo in place currently, uh, but in terms of just there being a quick social reaction, um, it is a movie that I think is a little bit better than I anticipated. Still not necessarily in love with it, but there are elements to it that I thought really worked, and they mostly begin and end with Halle Bailey. She is absolutely astonishing 
as Ariel in this movie. So I didn't necessarily hate it. And believe me, I went in thinking I was going to hate this because the Disney live action track record with me is not good. So more to come on that. We did record a podcast review a few days ago with myself, Zoe Rose, Brian and Destiny Jackson. That will post while I'm away at Cannes. So you guys will be getting that podcast review. It's also really funny, too, because tomorrow they're screening uh, Fast X here in New York. And I won't be there because I'll be in Cannes and Universal. I I asked them if they would show it to me earlier, but, you know, they completely ignored me. Uh, So as a result, the Fast Axe podcast review will actually be the first podcast in seven years. First one ever that I am not a part of. That's monumental. That's wild. You've been putting in the work. (laughs) Hey, almost 1500 podcasts, you know, at this at this point. It's pretty wild. That's a streak. I know. And the streak is ending mm. this upcoming weekend. But the show will go on. Cody Derricks will have that podcast for you all ready to go. So you all have a show for that. I'm very, very much looking forward to how he handles it. And Giovanni, you're going to be on that too, right? Yes, I will be there. The Fast X Hive lives on. <laughs> okay. Uh, other than The Little Mermaid, I also watched Hypnotic, which, as Giovanni said, uh, we have a podcast review for that, which already posted yesterday. And I am just so, so, so happy to say that I saw this before leaving for Cannes because, oh boy, this is one of those ones where I think I would have been really upset if I had gone out of my way to try and see it at Cannes. <laughs> but more thoughts can be uh, listened to on our podcast review. So. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? (laughs) I've never done it. Okay, I have a lot of movie watching to do over the next two weeks. And by a lot, I mean a lot, a lot. Yeah. Hopefully I can get tickets and I can actually see all the movies I'm trying to see. I mean, the list goes on and on here. But in terms of the schedule and what I'm hoping to see over the next couple of days, obviously the opening night film will be uh, Jean Dubarry, which is the, the My Wen film starring uh, Johnny Depp and supposedly what is only like 10, 15 minutes of screen time. But there's already so much buzz and not so much good buzz surrounding it. It's very controversial uh, due to Mai Wen's behavior. Supposedly, from what I understand, she spat in the face of a journalist recently. And Johnny Depp, of course, not everyone's favorite person. So this is like one of those movies where because it's the opening night film, there's literally nothing else playing. So you either go see this or you just don't do anything the entire day. (laughs) (laughs) so you're kind of forced into it no matter what (laughs) in a way it's a lot of conversation around it as you said because of the controversy right like a a, a, you want the perfect the cc the cans controversy double feature of this and then you watch the idol there you go yeah the idol will also be having its premiere over at can uh i'm probably not 
going to watch that one, to be honest with you. I think I'll just wait to watch it on HBO, but more importantly, I'll wait to hear what the reactions are before I watch it on HBO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly like the smart decision to do. Yep, yep. Uh, the next day, though, I'm hoping to catch the Steve McQueen World War II documentary, Occupied City. It's over four hours long, but I just want to see what a documentary by that man looks like because I think he's one of the best filmmakers we have working today. Um, then we also have Strange Way of Life, the Pedro Almodovar short film with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I was going to say Oscar Isaac by mistake, and I was like, wait a minute, Moon Knight. No, that's not right. <laughs> yes, Ethan Hawke. Guy Moon Knight. <laughs> um, I don't have a ticket for either one of those, unfortunately, but I'm hoping to get around to catching them regardless of that. We'll, we'll see what happens in terms of tickets opening up. Everyone keeps telling me to not worry and that when I get to the festival, because schedules constantly change and Supposedly, you get penalized if you show up or, or rather don't show up to a screening that you have a ticket for. So people give up their tickets all the time. So here's holding out hope that something works out there. But I do have a ticket for the new Coretta uh, film, Monster, which I'm very much looking forward to. Can't wait for that. It's going to be so good. And, you know, there's a lot of um, this is, of course, like, the you know, the ones that are obvious, right? There's the Wes Anderson mm -hmm. film, Asteroid City. There's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. There's Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, so far, tickets for Killers of the Flower Moon have not gone on sale yet. But Indiana Jones did. And unfortunately, I and literally every other person I know did not get a ticket for it. It was one of those things where we all hit refresh at the exact same time the tickets went on sale and they were just not there, period. So I don't know what's going on with that. I was ready. I Like, I'm packing my tux, and I really, really hope if, after all the work I went through to get it dry cleaned and get it prepared and lugging it over, I really hope I can put it to use <laughs> and go to one yeah. of these fancy red carpet premieres. But so far, I haven't gotten any tickets for any, but hopefully that changes. No, we're manifesting good things, Matt, okay? The best is yet to come, all right? We got it. No problem. And I'm not going to be alone either. I've got Emma Sassik coming with me over from MVP as well. So hopefully at least one of us makes it in to see something. Uh, beyond that, also, um, I do want to shout out that I'm very, very much looking forward to the new film from Nuri Bilge uh, Salon uh, about dry grasses. I think he's one of the most extraordinary filmmakers that we have working today. Same thing with Jonathan Glazer, The Zone of Interest. That's from oh. uh, A24. Uh, that has a tremendous amount of buzz behind it. That could be a really, really serious uh, film this year. It's shot by uh, Lucas Zal as well, who did Cold War. I'm thinking of ending things, so I'm expecting it to look Immaculate. visually incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's the Alice uh, Rohrwacher film, La Camera. That is going to uh, be playing closer to the end of the festival. I believe it's the second to last day. Speaking of which, uh, because I uh, I was hopeful, I was really, really hopeful. But unfortunately, Elemental, which is the closing night film, is playing too late. And my plane leaves before the screening starts. So, and I can't really justify another day, unfortunately, because... As we're recording this right now, this is Mother's Day, mm -hmm. and I want to give a shout out to my mother uh, right now and all the moms of NBP, wishing them all a happy Mother's Day. But 
um, when I arrive back, it's then my mom's birthday on Sunday. So if I extend my stay in Cannes an extra day just to see Elemental, I will miss that too. So I, I, I can't let that happen. <laughs> it's also interesting. I've seen a lot of people who are going to Cannes be like, yeah, it's Elemental's like the last day and a bunch of us are heading back and it's like we're not going to be able to see it. So Yeah, but you also got to remember something. There's so much international press there too oh yeah obviously yeah yeah then you also have the french press i mean it's gonna get coverage it's just not gonna be as robust from everyone for that reason uh what else do we have here what are some other call outs i want to mention oh there's Fri- uh, firebrand from kareen anus uh which is starring alicia vikander jude law and a couple of others about uh henry the eighth's marriage um I think that that could be uh, a very interesting film that will probably get picked up for distribution given the uh, names within its cast. It's kind of shocking to me that Todd Haynes' film made December with Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman does not have a distributor as of yet. Yeah, that is that is a bit interesting. I'm very excited for May December. That's like extremely my type of movie. Oh, yeah, completely. Club Zero, also from Jessica, uh, Jessica Hosner, starring uh, Mia uh, Wasikowskia. Uh, also has a lot of buzz brewing about it. There seems to be an element of, uh, how do I say this? Um, like I've, I've heard it's going to make a lot of noise when it drops. Mm. What that means, though, I have no idea. But could be for good, could be for bad. Um, I mentioned Ken Loach earlier. He's got the old Oak playing. Supposedly that might be his last film of his career. So for that reason alone, I think that that is pretty significant. Cobweb. Yeah. Cobweb, the Kim Ji Woo movie starring Song Kang Ho. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's definitely. Be awesome. I, every, that little teaser is so good. Yeah, it's a really good it's a really good lineup. I mean, uh, and there's stuff, too, that I'm sure is going to be fantastic here that I'm not quite expecting. Um, there's The Sweet East from Sean Price Williams that stars uh, Talia Ryder, Simon Rex, uh, Ayo Edebiri, and um, yep, I'm in. Yep. Jacob Elordi. That's playing in director's Fortnite. That has a real chance to be a breakout hit of the festival, I think. Um, there's the new boy with Kate Blanchett. I know that's probably going to get a lot of uh, eyes on it. There's also a movie starring Viggo Mortensen called Eureka. I did not hear about this, actually. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is what I mean. Like the, the further you dig into the lineup, you just uncover certain things. And it's like, yeah. whoa, I had no idea. What? You know, <laughs> It's just, and that's the thing with Cannes and just, you know, the film festival season in general. It's like we always have our eyes on these bigger names, and then it's always this one film that no one's keeping track of that's like the head of the festival or something. And then everyone's like, oh, wow, what is this? And everyone just starts beaming in on it. So that's I always one of the beauties of Cannes and just film festivals in general. I'm sure I'll have a couple of uh, questions from the fans here about Can in just a minute. So I'm going to stop it with thoughts there for now. And just to keep things moving along, uh, why don't we move over to the polls next? Uh, for last week's poll for the release of Hypnotic, directed by Robert Rodriguez, we asked everyone, which is your favorite Robert Rodriguez film? Giovanni, do you have an answer to this question? I would have to be between... Planet Terror or Spy Kids 3D because as I mentioned in the review for Hypnotic that we did, I just remember vividly as a kid just popping out the 3D glasses of the box or whatever like you got with like some food or some 
something like that. I can't remember. It was like the commercial deal they did. And then just popping it on and watching it on TV. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Cinema. This is it. Seeing seeing Stallone, multiple Stallones. I was like, wow, this is this is my multiverse of madness right here. Okay. All right. I like it. For me, uh, it has to be Sin City. Oh, I love the style. I love pretty much almost everything about that movie. That's such a yeah. I like how I was like, see, yeah, Spy Kids and Planet Terror, and I clearly forgot about Sin City. How do you forget about Sin City? I don't know. It just slipped my mind. But that is also a great film. One of the coolest things about Sin City is the audio commentary track that was on the I remember the special edition uh, DVD and then later the Blu-ray, and it's a live audience track. So you can watch the movie listening to the audience cheer and go crazy over certain moments. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It it felt like, you know, you were there in the theater watching it all over again with a crowd on like a rowdy opening night at like a South by Southwest midnight or something or another, you know? Yeah. Wow. It's been so long since I've seen Sin City. Might need to revisit. I would definitely recommend it for sure. Okay, let's see what the MVP film community voted for. At number 10, it is Machete. Okay, yeah. That's it? Just okay, yeah? I mean, I mean, I, I love it. I, I personally would put it higher. That's like at least a five for me. But, you know, the community speaks. We listen, you know. Number nine, Spy Kids 2, The Island of Lost Dreams. Oh. Okay, that's a banger. That needs to be higher. I, I is that the one that has Steve Buscemi and he just drops like the most random quote about like, what if God would God abandon us? I was like, this is for children. Why why are you saying such an awesome line? It is indeed that movie, Giovanni. <laughs> that is the film. Oh my God. Great movie. Love it. No notes. Number eight, El Mariachi. Pretty good. I, I do enjoy it. I'm, I'm very, I'm really curious of where this list is lining up especially at the top half because i'm starting to think now i'm like oh wait a second number seven the faculty okay underrated horror gem i highly recommend people check this out if they have not seen it before it's written by kevin williamson who uh, wrote the screenplay for scream the original it's a lot more fun than i think people probably remember and the cast today like looking at them now it's pretty it's pretty cool Number six. This is another one. I love this movie. This is like like one of my favorite in theater experiences I've ever had. Planet Terror. Yeah. Planet Terror is a banger. Yeah, so much is. fun. It's so good. Number five. Desperado. Yeah. The top five for sure. Number four. The Army voted. And this is where it placed Alita Battle Angel. <sighs> okay. All right. That fan base is insane. One of the most dedicated fan bases I've ever seen on, like, the internet, ever. Like, I, it's been years, and you guys still clamor for a sequel. Like, I don't get it. I thought it was cool. I uh, wasn't the biggest fan. Mahershala Ali wearing that trench coat is always, like, A+. plus. Do you know, like, what the deal is with this uh, movie that it has such a insane fan base? Is it because of the Magna series? That, okay, I honestly did not know it was based off a manga series, so that that might explain it, why there's, like, such a dedicated base that's constantly, like, that and Snyder Bros are the two people I 
seeing that, like, just do not give up about the like making a sequel. Like, I would put Alita lower tier, but hey, you guys do you. Number three, Spy Kids, the first one. Wow, no Spy Kids 3D love. I feel like I'm on an island now. I feel like I made the worst pick of the Spy Kids. <laughs> okay. Number two, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. That's an awesome movie. That is such a fun watch. Yeah, banger. Isn't it amazing how like half of the films, if not more on this list, are all just so much fun to watch. And then you watch Hypnotic and it's like, where's the fun, bro? That's that's just the biggest frustration with it. Like, again, we've said constantly your style uh, for Rodriguez might not be for everyone, but you could at least be like, at least I was somewhat entertained. Hypnotic, I can't say that at all. Because we're naming all these movies, and even I'm like, even Alita, which I'm not even the biggest fan of, I would rather watch that a million times over than Hypnotic. The Alita Battle Angel Army is very happy to hear you say that, Giovanni. <laughs> I salute you. <laughs> number one, it should not come as a surprise. Number one is Sin City. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So good job, MVP film community, on ranking Robert Rodriguez's filmography. And now for this week's poll. With the release of Fast X, which supposedly is no longer part one of a two-parter. Yeah, the Fast X trilogy. We did it. We, we're going to keep going. Let's pump them out. We're going to get Fast XX and Fast XXL. <laughs> <laughs> I, dare I say it? Might be the most ambitious trilogy we've ever seen ever. Okay? I had to break it to you, Stop. people. <laughs> no. We're done. <laughs> Decommissioning that vehicle. Hey, the studio spoke, okay? The people have spoken. We need it. This is just a spoke on the wheel as far as I'm concerned, okay? <laughs> All right. So, which is your favorite film from the Fast Saga? Giovanni, what's your go-to answer for this one? Oh, I, I'm going to go with more personal bias. It's got to be either The Fast and the Furious or Tokyo Drift. Wow. I, it's old, I grew up with those two. I, like back when the films were just about street racing and not the most like grand super spy, like impossible things you do with vehicles. Those were the best. Because growing up with it, I was like, oh, wow, the world of underground street racing. So cool. And they're driving over under semis and they're stealing TVs. And now you see them like going to space in a Pontiac Fiero. But I. I'm going to go I'm going to lock it in with Tokyo Drift because I just remember seeing the setting change was so cool and so different because I remember that was the when they wanted to make a sequel to Too Fast, Too Furious and the movie didn't do great. And they're just like, OK, well, let's just reboot it. And it's just the whole aesthetic is cool. All the cars are cool. You know, that was just the bigger Han showcase, which includes my rant of like fast nine giving me Han erasure and Tokyo drift erasure. Very disappointed in y'all, but Tokyo drift is great. I could watch that movie on loop. And also the, the theme for that, the movie is so iconic. Okay. For me, it is undoubtedly fast five pretty much revitalized the franchise and made it into what it is today. It was definitely the movie where you could feel the leap. Like you said, from mm -hmm. street racing to, 
well, whatever it is today. It's still like a hot, that movie, at least that's a bit more, okay, stuff happens, they drag a safe throughout Rio de Janeiro, but like, at least that was like a heist movie. That was before they just became government employees. Like, they're, they're still like, again, a groundedness to it, although not really compared to like where it just jumps the shark mm-hmm. but like if we're talking about best i would i would agree with you that i think fast x is or not fast x, i'm sorry uh fast five hey you know what it could be fast x okay <laughs> sure let's see what happens you never know let's see i mean we'll find out okay so head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com and cast a vote there tell us which is your favorite film from the fast saga and I guess I won't announce that on next week's show. Um, I'll probably tweet about it and maybe I'll say it on the, on the next show after that. Like I said, it all depends on what happens over the next couple of days. Maybe Emma and I get together. We record something, maybe not, but we'll see. Okay. Let's talk about a trailer now. Very, very, very excited for what searchlight pictures dropped a couple of days ago. It's a teaser trailer. It's less than a minute long, but it's for Yogo's Lanphimos' Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Rami Youssef, Gerard Carmichael, Christopher Abbott, Margaret Qualley, and Catherine Hunter. It will be released in theaters on September 9th. Let's take a look at the trailer. Let's give some thoughts. I am finding being alive fascinating. (laughs) Oh. Okay, so that definitely looks like it's going to be the most visually stunning Yorgos Lanthimos film that we've received yet. I love like the painted backgrounds, like the unique. I, I don't, I don't know how much of that CG, but it looks like there's some applied mixed with like the painted backgrounds. And I want to shout out, I don't know who's scoring the film, but that very like synthy ethereal track in the teaser it might just be trailer music honestly oh that would oh it's so good i hope that's the score because that fit that tone perfectly i have not read the book that it's adapted from but the stuff i've heard about this is just so weird and like i think it perfectly meshes with yorgos lanthimos like and you get tony mcnamara coming back and uh re-teaming with yorgos and Oh, it's going to be so good. That 35 seconds was more captivating to me than a lot of teasers I've seen in the past like year and a half. Oh, 100% agreed. The plot synopsis for this reads, From filmmaker Yorgos Lanthimos and producer Emma Stone comes the incredible tale and fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe who's got some neat facial scarring going on in this uh, teaser here. Under Baxter's protection, Bella is eager to learn. Hungry for the worldliness she is lacking, Bella runs off with Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo, a slick and debauched lawyer on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her times, Bella grows steadfast in her purpose to stand for equality and liberation. Now, here's the thing that I find to be most curious about this film. It looks stunning. The cast is aces. It looks very much like it's in Yorgos Lanthimos' wheelhouse in terms of the tone. Uh, We got a couple of lines here. I mean, I think that comedic moment where Mark Ruffalo gets slapped by Emma Stone and his reaction is so inherently Yorgos (laughs) Lanthimos. Yeah, and like just the timing (laughs) of it all. Like the way he does uh, this 
style of comedy is so unique to his sensibilities as a director. Um, I think this looks incredible. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. The thing that concerns me is the September 8th release date. Does this mean it gets a world premiere at Venice and then comes out a week later? Um, if so, that doesn't bold so well, uh, bode so well uh, in terms of, you know, is this an awards film or is it a movie that they're going to just try and get a little bit of buzz on to capitalize on its opening weekend because they know that it's going to be divisive to some degree? I'm curious. What, what, do you, what are you thinking right now, Matt, based off like that teaser? Because, again, I mean, look, we just had everything everywhere all at once when Best Picture. Who knows where the Academy's taste is changing? We've seen it alter so much within the past five years, especially having a film that unique and stylized and different. I'm curious, before I say something, what, what are you thinking off that teaser? Because this is uh, very distinct, <laughs> I will say. I'm thinking production design, costume design, and that's it for now. Because given the source material and what I know about it, mm-hmm. I just don't think the Academy yeah. is going to respond to this as an awards player. But I very much like this. This definitely is up my alley. I, I yeah. can't wait for this. OK, we're, we're on the same boat. I I very I think beforehand, before I even seen footage, just everything I've heard, especially based off the book, I was like, I don't know. And then that teaser is kind of giving me a bit more off the look. We don't know because who knows? You know, maybe the movie comes out and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And but like, you know, that September release does give me a little bit of a pause. I feel like maybe at the most above the line, maybe screenplay. But if it is adapted, adapted screenplay is very stacked this year. Maybe I'm I mean, hey, he was able to get the lobster in for screenplay. And that was another very odd movie. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I think above the line where I think it's probably maybe Stone. It seems like she's really going to give a very wacko type performance. Um, And she was nominated last time, you know, she did a collab with Yorgos, so for the favorite. So we'll see. I don't know if it's a picture thing right now. I don't know really what Searchlight has besides next goal wins. Yeah, well, it's really between those two. So maybe you know Searchlight is just like we'll just pick this and we'll just put our campaign behind it. So I mean, it could have some traction. I hope it makes money because this shit looks awesome and like people should go to the movies to see this and also. Shout out Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. slowly breaking away from the MCU shackles. We will put you in real movies again. We got it. The fight is strong. Oh, my God. (laughs) Trying to see what else they also have coming up this year. Uh, Well, yeah, Magazine Dreams. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Things in September. Next Goal wins in November. Magazine Dreams in December. Oof. Yeah. That's a little rough. Yeah. Oh, they also have... um, the Andrew High film, uh, Strangers, with Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, Claire Foy, Jamie Bell. That could be pretty good. Yeah, maybe. Searchlight rarely ever misses, so I, I have confidence in them. Yeah. I also have just have confidence in them to deliver a good movie, whether it's an awards player or not. Simple as that. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, we just we just want good movies. We yep. just want to go to the theater, watch good, original, creative films, and it looks like Yorgos Lanthimos is like, hey. I got what you need. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's see what the MVP film community had to say here for this week. I know they sent in some questions for us. 
Once again, short episode. We're only at the 35-minute mark right now as of this recording, but trying to do something for you all uh, before I leave for the airport. So let's see what we got. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Connor Lorenz, if you can go back in time and attend any can premiere, which one would you choose to attend? Ooh. 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 That's you know, tough. I think I, yeah, I'm pretty sure the longest standing ovation in can history is Pan's Labyrinth. I would have liked to have been there for that just to see how. Like, like, would I have stayed through the whole thing? Would I have gotten up and walked away? I don't know. But also, too, that movie is just, I think, a cinematic masterpiece, and I would have loved to have been there for that. Realistically, Matt, I want to – let's gauge. How long till you're like, okay, my, my hands are hurting. I can't be clapping no more. Ah, oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I used to do some theater work back in the day, and, you know, when you do performing arts, uh, there's a lot of clapping involved. Uh <laughs> Whether you're uh, watching it in the audience or just, you know, backstage cheering people on, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. But. Yeah, nothing like that. That That's crazy. You know, <laughs> like this, this, some of the can standing ovations. I just I don't know. Like, what are we doing at a certain point? You know? Yeah, it all it just it feels very performative past. Like, you know, if you want to give like, I don't know, one, two minutes of clapping, I can understand. But going on for like. 13 minutes or something that's insane it is it's a lot my hands i i don't i have delicate hands man i i don't think i could do i don't think i could do that but you know i would just oh i recency bias i think i would have loved to gone seen once upon a time in hollywood i think that is personally my favorite tarantino film i had such a rewatchable it's in my top 10 favorite films of all time i saw that three times in theaters and each time i kept bringing different people and Every time I went, just that theater experience was so great. And as you mentioned, the standing ovation, that movie had a pretty long standing ovation, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think oh, just seeing the, like the reaction to the ending of that movie alone would have been amazing. Paul Rye, been seeing a lot of journalists' frustrations over securing tickets for Cannes films. Yes, yes, that is that is true. <laughs> Uh, what has been the process for ex- uh, accessing can ticket spots for films? And is there any way the festival can make it better in the future? Well, in terms of making it better in the future, I will say this. There are two what seems to be no brainer things that they need to do. One is assess. Hey, we had to beef up our servers in order to handle the traffic. And when we did that, it seemed to work fine. So when the next year rolls around, Don't revert and find yourself in the same situation again. Take whatever you did the last time in terms of having the service up to a certain standard and use that again. 
You know, it, it, like because it, it, I've been hearing from a lot of people, oh, it's the same shit where the first couple of days it was hard and then it levels out. And it's like, well, if this is a predictable cycle, why are we just allowing it to happen? Why don't why don't you preemptively get ahead of it then if you know that that's what's going to happen anyway? Yeah, it's from everything I've been hearing from you and other people in this industry, it's it's been tough. And, you know, I, I haven't gone to Cannes. The only festival I've done in person was NIF and that was a pretty smooth system. And I was going to ask you, you know, you've been to multiple festivals. Um, would you say so far this has been the one festival that's been the more frustrating because of the system compared to like NIF or Absolutely. Sundance? Absolutely. Or- Definitely the most frustrating and the most yeah. uh, scary for me because yeah. there are uh, journalists from all over the world that go to this festival. It is, I think, I, and I could be wrong in saying this, but I think it's the most attended film festival in the world. Um, It's definitely regarded as the biggest film festival in the world. And so as a result of that, here's another solution you can do. You can book more press screenings for your press to spread shit out. feels like a really simple thing to do. Like, I don't understand how that's not been done already. Yeah. Having only one press screening and then a film shows publicly uh, like three, maybe four times. In the cases of Killers of the Flower Moon, there's one public screening, one press screening, and that is it. It makes no sense for such a like anticipated film of that regard. Like, come on. And there are thousands, thousands of journalists there. And that's not including programmers, industry, anybody that worked on the films. Like, <sighs> dude, it, it's insane. There's a there's a very good chance I go all the way to Cannes, spend all of this money, and I don't see killers. We're not what no, we're not doing that. We are manifesting good things, Matt. Okay, we're gonna you're gonna see killers. You're seeing it. Okay, all right, I believe you. Uh, from review B Aziz, uh, what are you attending? Most excited uh, to see in Cannes? Uh, obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon, number one with a bullet. But um, I would say behind that, I'm very much looking forward to. The Zone Adventurist from Glazer, as mentioned earlier, about dry grasses. I'm very much looking forward to. I. Mm, yeah, I, I would say I'm also. Yeah, I mean, like pretty much anything I mentioned earlier at the top of the show. If I mentioned it by name, that means it's top of mind. So I guess that answers your question. Uh, let's see here. We have uh, Josie DeMarco with May being Mental Health Awareness Month. What do you think are some of the best films that highlight such topics? Oh, topic of mental health. You know, th- this this is a little tricky, right? Because I feel like this is a subject that doesn't get dealt with in a very. It's hard to please everybody when it comes to this, right? Mm-hmm. But the question is, what do you think are some of the best films that highlight the subject? I mean, if we're going by films that you know, are considered the best. I don't know. So what's the question here? Is it what's the best film or what is the best film that highlights such topics? Because there are good films that I think do a really crappy job of explaining the mental health, but it features mental health. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, it's especially such a sensitive topic. You know, there's could be films that like we adore so much that like mental health is an aspect of other characters, but I don't think is really sensitively like approached or discuss. So I think I mean what about um does Uncut Gems technically count since he suffers from gam- a gambling addiction? I don't know. These 
See, I I wouldn't really count that as a film about mental. I mean, he does have addiction, but I don't really think the film focuses on like mental health and that aspect specifically. See, this oh, it's so tough. How about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? That seems like a really logical answer. Yeah, I think that more so. That's probably what I was going to pick. Yeah. Ah. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That just popped in my mind right there. I think that that film really handles it in a well manner that's like very sensibly talked about and also endearing and funny. I like ordinary people too. That's another one yeah. I, I very much enjoy. Um, Perks of being a wallflower comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a couple that are like popping in my head now. Benny Dawson, if the Oscars fan favorite award hadn't been axed, which film do you think would have won it last year? Top Gun. Um, or Avatar. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say Top Gun. Yeah, I, I feel like Top Gun. I feel like Top Gun was more widely agreed upon, whereas Avatar, there were definitely some people who didn't appreciate the runtime. Uh, yeah, I, I would say Top Gun. That sounds about right. Yeah. S2S Movie Reviews, what is a movie you are embarrassed to say that you haven't seen? Ooh. I don't know. I don't, I'm really mad trying to speak first because I don't want I want to see what your answer is. So I can be like, OK, I feel a little bit better. He, OK, so I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think everyone knows at this point that I own a lot of Criterion Collection movies, but my Criterion Collection is something that I use as a go to reference for when I need to watch something for homework, if you will. Uh, to prepare for another movie that's coming out or for the podcast or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. But also, too, when I have free time, I do just pop one in and I go in order of spine number. And because I'm constantly adding to it and the spine numbers um, are always going in order, but sometimes they re-release old spine numbers, um, I'm constantly like kind of hopping around. And the idea, the purpose of me going slowly through the Criterion Collection is that I never want to fully be done with it until I'm like old and dying. Um, I always want there to be that sense of discovery and I want there to be something new. So, yeah, there are a lot of films that I have not seen. There's not like one though that's like hanging over me as the one. Uh, but I do like that there is this constantly ever evolving journey that I'm on with classic cinema and even contemporary cinema that uh, may go underappreciated but gets a bump due to his inclusion within the Criterion Collection. So as I'm constantly watching new movies for NBP, Criterion Collection continues to serve as like my ongoing film school to constantly uh, replenish my appreciation of cinema's past. Yeah, I I mean, obviously I have blind spots. Um I think the thing is, like, I constantly add stuff to my letterbox watch list and be like, yeah, you know, shout out Brendan Hodges on our team, who every time he tweets amazing, like, breakdowns of films he watches, especially, like, older films, I'm like, ooh, I need to add that, you know, and I screenshot it and I put it in my list. But off the top of my head, this is embarrassing that I have these two films I was planning to watch soon because I've been slacking on watching older films because, you know, what TV season has been and me starting to catch up on 2023 films the third man Ooh, i've never seen that i've like had it in my like list locked and loaded ready to go and i just have not found the time 
I've been really wanting to watch. That's an all-time great film noir. I know. It's incredibly like everything I would love. So the fact I haven't seen it yet, it's kind of like the the hanging cloud in my head. And I'm like, oh, come on, Gio. And I would say the next one is Tokyo Story. Oh, another really good one. Yeah. I say those are the two off rip where I'm like, I need to get on it. Both of which are in the Criterion Collection, both of which I have seen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're coming to the end here. Like I said, this is going to be a short episode, everyone. Next question. Aiden McHutchinson, uh, what is a Best Picture nominee from any given year that you feel is underrated or more people need to see? Mine is Michael Mann's The Insider. Oh, so good. I adore The Insider. That's a phenomenal film. That is a perfect. That might be my favorite Michael Mann, actually. I love Michael Mann. So if you would have said any Michael Mann movie, I would have been like, yeah, no, I agree. But The Insider is Mm -hmm. perfect choice. Um, Okay. I mean, I don't know if this is underrated, but I think just the year it came out was just so stacked with great Best Picture nominees. I'm just going to go with Michael Clayton. I love Michael Clayton. That's a solid movie. It, it's so good. It's so incredibly well structured and well plotted. I just randomly will be driving and then I'm like, you know what we need more of? George Clooney in movies. Like, I was there for Ticket in Paradise, okay? Like, uh, he – I believe in the movie star, and I'll just be thinking, about like, yeah, Michael Clayton, just so good. And that year, you know, obviously when you're in the year of – I just had a friend who recently watched No Country for Old Men for the first time. And it's like – I was like just thinking about it because I haven't seen it in a minute. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then you have also There Will Be Blood and you're like, oh, damn, that's also amazing. And you're just like – Michael Clayton's just like, hey, hi there. I'm also here. And you're like, oh, you're also amazing. <laughs> God, what a great year. Uh, you know what? Okay, here's here's one that I'm a pretty big fan of. I really love Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of cinema's greatest artists that ever existed, ever walked the face of the planet. And the Best Picture nominee, Cries and Whispers. If you have never made time to watch this and you just want to have your soul emotionally destroyed – then this is the film for you. So I've honestly never seen it. Look, adding me into another list. I, I honestly cannot believe that it was even nominated for Best Picture, to be honest with you. Like, it's just so not what they typically go for in this category. But it's pretty amazing. I mean, the acting is above and beyond anything you've ever seen before. The cinematography is also so visually striking. The way that he utilizes the color reddedness is like all time great level stuff. Um, It's basically set in this like mansion and there's like these three sisters and they're taking care of um, one of the sisters who's dying from terminal cancer. And because this is like 19th century, there's like no modern medicine or anything like that. And it's just harrowing. Like, so emotionally devastating. I love to be emotionally devastated, so I will watch this. Yeah, this is like really, really, really good. I mean, Ingmar Bergman, just so many classics mm-hmm. uh, within the filmography, you know, from The Seventh Seal to Wild Strawberries, Personas, incredible, all the way up until like Fanny Alexander. I mean, like, God, I, I could just watch Bergman films like all day. One of the greats. Okay, and then final question for this week from TV Fontaine. In honor of Mother's Day, 
Who is your favorite scary mother in a movie? Ooh, scary mother. I mean, this is a basic answer. I'm just as soon as you say that, I just think of the monologue Tony Collette's giving in Hereditary. <laughs> I am your mother. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one, and that might actually have to be my favorite. Uh, but to avoid repetition here, have you seen not the remake, but did you see Good Night, Mommy? No. Oh, if you've never seen the original Good Night, Mommy, that is a chilling, well-executed film. Highly recommend that one. I would also, yeah, I mean, like, it goes without saying, I kind of need to give a shout out to Piper Laurie, who was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in Carrie. Yeah. I was way too young when I saw that for the first time, (laughs) and seeing her get, like, knifed across the uh, room like in the shape of like Jesus on the cross that that was like traumatizing to me as a kid. <laughs> I, sh- I should not have been watching such things. <laughs> but yeah, now, the, there's so many good examples of this. Wow. How about, um, Oh wait, but it has to be a scary mother. Uh, okay. So who's like a mother that's not like a protective protagonist, but an effective antagonist. Is it cheap for me to say Norma Bates? Probably cheap, right? I shouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah a little. But look, uh, I mean, uh, wait, 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 wait. I got it. I just got it. Uh, <laughs> my friend Ryan C. Showers would appreciate me saying this. Um, <laughs> Lori Metcalf in Scream Two. <laughs> oh, that's a good. <laughs> that's a, such a good pick. Uh, yeah. There's there's some really good choices here. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that'll do it here. That's it. I'm, I, I cannot believe uh, that that shortest episode we've ever recorded. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> We're under an hour here. Dang. But I got to go. I, I got my I got my flight still and I still got to get packed. I still got to finish some things. Got to shave my head. Got things I got to do. Got to look great on that red carpet. You're going to kill it. Oh, well, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I hope everyone follows me while I'm over there. I really hope that you all. Uh, you know, don't abandon the site, please. We're still going to be posting stuff while I'm, while I'm gone. So please, uh, you know, don't forget about us, even though it's going to be like two, two full weeks. I'm excited. I am excited. This is the first time that I've ever like taken this long of a break from working on the site day to day. Uh, I've got, you know, some good people over here, you Giovanni being one of them that are going to be helping me, uh, while I'm away. And like I said earlier, uh, first podcast review I've never been a part of so that's definitely a big step but you know I'm excited for this new experience I'm excited to see what it's all about and I'm really just overwhelmed by the positive messages I've received from everybody wishing me the best and um, I just want to say how much I appreciate all of you so thank you all very much and I can't wait to report back to you from what I see over at the Cannes Film Festival And with that said, Giovanni Lago, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at TheGiovanniLago. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 343 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. 
Thank you so much for listening as always. And we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.